it is my absolute delight to welcome to the stage R.A. Spratt. She is the author of The Pesky Kids, Friday Barns and the Adventures of Nanny Piggins. But unlike the pesky kids, R.A. Spratt never fights with her brother, but only because he moved to Tokyo. Um, she lives in Barrel, New South Wales, where she has three chickens, five goldfish and a dog, maybe even some children. <laughs> okay, please, welcome to the stage, R.A. Spratt. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. <laughs> I love doing that because you know it's really annoying the adult authors over there. Like they're they're like stream into like New York or something, and there's someone in New York thinking, "What is that noise in the background?" And they don't know it's R.A. Spratt being really annoying. Let's do it again because they'll think I've they'll, they'll think I've finished by now, but no, I haven't. <laughs> it's probably Julia Baird. <laughs> Hello, it's wonderful to be here. I'm R.A. Spratt, as you know, and I have travelled here all the way from New South Wales to tell you how awesome I am. <laughs> it's crazy. It's just crazy when you say it that way, but it's true. That's why I'm here. So, for those of you who don't know, you've just wandered over here because you can't bear listening to the people over there. Um, <laughs> I've written a whole bunch of books. I wrote nine books about the wonderful flying pig, Nanny Piggins, and I wrote, uh, I've written nine books now about Friday Barns, which is why we're here to talk about Friday Barns. This one just came out a couple of weeks ago. And I also wrote The Pesky Kids. So that's five books about my hometown and, um, <laughs> yeah, and all the crazy things we get up to there. So we're here to talk about Friday Barns today. So hands up if you've read some Friday Barns. Hands up if, oh, wow. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, all right. Um, that's awesome. I wasn't expecting. Normally I go places and you're explaining who you are. <laughs> now you all know. So anyway, so I'll explain to you how, how I came up with the idea of Friday Barnes. Uh, well, what happened was <laughs> people always say to you, ah, what inspires you to be an author? And uh, I don't like to lie to children, so I say the truth. I, I, I <laughs> I'm inspired by earning money and paying the mortgage. <laughs> this, this is all I've ever done. Is I've, I've been a writer since I was 22, so I don't really know any other life. So what happened was I was writing uh, Nanny Piggins, and uh, woohoo, yeah, she likes it. So I was writing Nanny Piggins, and it was a really big success. It did really well in America. It's still my most popular book over there in America. But the problem with Nanny Piggins was the stories are, are every chapter is a short story, which is great for you if you're reading to your kid because you read one chapter and you get to the end of the story, you say, right, that's it, time for bed, go to bed. But the problem with that is, like for that kid, they don't have that like burning desire to wake up the next morning and find out what happens next because the story's ended. And I thought, so when I finished writing that and I was like, you know, I, I love writing books, but if I don't earn any more money, I'm going to die of malnutrition. So <laughs> I thought, what can I do? What can I write that's going to be even more popular? So what I did was I did some market research. So what I did for market research, because I live in a country town, so I don't have a lot of opportunities. What I did was I went to Big W. Now, Big W is actually the biggest bookseller in Australia, and we all laugh, but they actually do have a decent, like, kind of book selection, especially compared to Kmart and Target. Like, if you live in a country town, a lot of country towns, the only bookshop is Country Target, and their, their, their book selection is, like, smaller than this 
thing and it'll have like three children's books, three adults' books, and that's it. That's all you get in. So anyway, I went to Big W and I thought, well, what sells? Because if I can't sell into Big W, I'm not going to be able to make a living. So I looked around and they've got romance books, but then they've got heaps of crime and, and mystery books. And I thought, that's a great idea because if you write a mystery book, like – you, the, the reader gets really caught up in wanting to know what happens next and they can't put it down. They call it a page turner. I thought, that's what I want to write. I want to write something that's a page turner that kids can't bear to put down. And then when you get to the end, I'll put in a huge cliffhanger ending that they'll only find out what happens if they buy the next book and I'll force them to buy the next book and not wait till it's in the library and they can borrow it because they're just desperate to know and I thought, that's my plan. So that was my wicked plan and usually my, my cunning plans never work but on this instance it did because like the, the book came out, the first book and when you write a book, it goes out and it's sort of really anticlimactic because your book goes out into the world and you know it's on sale in shops but you just sort of don't get a sense of it because no one's talking to you about it. So anyway... I was at home, a book had been out for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden I got this, this hate tweet from a parent. <laughs> she was joking, but it was like, R.A. Spratt, I'm so cross with you. And I'm like, oh, what's this about? She said, because of you and your book, Friday Barnes, my daughter missed the bus to school this morning. And I'm like, what? How did I cause that? And what had happened was she'd been reading Friday Barnes, and it was such a great page turner. She was so engrossed. She was sitting there at the bus stop in the morning reading it and like, oh, what happens next? And, oh, Ian is really that good looking. Oh, my gosh. She did not notice the 10-ton bus pull up in front of her. All the other kids get on. The bus pull away and drive off down there. And she looked up and she's like, oh, no, I'm going to be in so much trouble with mum. <laughs> but anyway, when I got that tweet, I was like, yes, I know I'm onto something. If my book is so engrossing, you can miss a bus. And I, it was, and it's like the rest is history. I wrote eight, and they just got more and more and more popular. And after eight, I got to the point where... <sighs> My brain was exhausted <laughs> because the problem with writing crime fiction for a uh, school, like a, about a school, is you run out of crime. Because <laughs> when you write for children, you can have like the vicious murders you get on CSI or the, you know, even violence. Like I had one book where Friday was being attacked by, a, by a f uh, an illegal fur operator. And I had Melanie pick up a rock and bop him on the head. And I was told, no, she can't bop him on the head. That's too violent. I'm like, she's, she's protecting her friends. Like, no, she can push him and he can fall over and then he can hit his head on a rock. And I'm like, oh, that's nowhere near as fun as Melanie, like, sconning someone. But anyway, so you've got all these rules when you write for children's crime. So anyway, and, and so you can't have some, you know, like you can't have drugs and obviously we don't want drugs, but you can have all these things that you would have in an adult crime novel. So you gotta, there's a limit to how many times you can have people getting really upset about their homework being missing. So after eight books, I went to my publisher and it's really hard to write because you've, you've got the crime and you've got to sort of plot it backwards and put in all the clues. So after eight books, I went to my publisher and I said, if I have to write another Friday Barnes book, my brain will implode. It will crush in on itself like a Coke can. A black hole will open up in the earth and the entire population will be sucked in and we'll all die. <laughs> and my publisher said to me, oh, that's okay, Rachel. You don't have to write another one. That's all right. You can write something else. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I went away and I wrote The Pesky Kids for two and a half years. And I thought it was over and I'd moved on and Friday Barnes was behind me. <laughs> But no, for two and a half years, every week, I was getting letters from people like you, the Friday Barnes fans, <laughs> saying what? they didn't like the ending of the eighth book because they wanted, <laughs> what they wanted was they wanted Friday 
to like marry Ian and kiss a lot or something. I don't know, but they weren't happy with the ending. So I was getting all this mail. I was like, you can't have them get married. She's 13 and he's 14. I know they did that in Romeo and Juliet, but that was 500 years ago. I can't get away with that. And I'm uncomfortable with all that icky romance stuff anyway. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But after two and a half years of being constantly nagged by the fans, I was like, okay, no, no, no. But then my publisher actually came to me and said, you know, Rachel, we all love money. So why don't you write another Friday Barnes book? And I'm like, oh. And my publisher was like eight months pregnant at the time. And I'm like, oh. And you can't say no to pregnant people. Like, that's my rule anyway. So I was like, fine. So I wrote this. And I actually really loved writing it because I said it in Italy. And I went to Italy. I went to, and it's set all in Florence. And I did a gelato tour of Florence. It was the best research trip ever. Oh, if you ever go to Florence, do the gelato tour. It's so cool. And we went around all the gelato shops and had the best gelato. So there's all this gelato-related crime in there. So that's how I got to this point. Yay. She's like, Mom, as soon as COVID's over, we're going we're to go to Florence and eat gelato. The best one, if you go to the Santa Croce, the church, there's a gelato shop just nearby. And they have this gelato called Ar Crema alla Rancha, which is cream of orange, which I know doesn't sound good. But oh, my gosh. It's worth flying to Italy for. Anyway, I got totally distracted. I should read to you, shouldn't I? Yeah. Are you happy if I read to you from the first book? Yeah, okay. Someone said no? Yeah, you want me to do something totally different? Oh, well, 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 we can't talk about babies being born. No, that's, that's not a... You are probably fine with that, but there might be some young people here and we don't want to inform them too much. All right. So I'll read a chapter from the first book because otherwise the, the older people here who haven't read all my books won't follow what's going on. We don't want them to get confused. Not more confused they are already. Can you hear that? Can you hear the bells? I've rung the bells over there. I'm a bell ringer in real life. This is one of the sad points of trivia about me. They are the heaviest bells in Australia. I've rung the seven. There's eight there, and the seven was pretty heavy. I teach bell ringing in, in, in Barrel. If this is a secret I don't normally inform people of. Okay, here we go. All right. My mother was a bell ringer, and my grandfather was a bell ringer, and my great-grandfather was a bell ringer, so it's just a family thing. I didn't really want to do it. But I did briefly end up being ringing master of New South Wales. It was my, I have a dark past, as you can tell. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to read you Friday Barnes' story called The Case of the Missing Homework. Do you all know this one? Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I know it off by heart, so it's fun to tell. Okay. So for all the older people here who haven't read the books, all you need to know to follow along is Friday Barnes is a girl detective. That's the clue he's given in the title, Friday Barnes Girl Detective. And uh, her best friend is called Melanie. And she's really nice, but she suffers from African sleeping sickness because she was bitten by a tsetse fly. I, did, I put that in the book because I just love saying tsetse fly. <laughs> it still makes me giggle all these years later. And the other thing you need to know is she's, she's got this love interest called Ian. Oh, and, and in this book, because there's lots of mini mysteries in my book, but then there's a big mystery that runs through the whole thing. And in this book, the mystery is about a swamp yeti. I'll give you another insight into the book. 
See, when I was writing this, Twilight was huge, which is these stories about vampires. And I love the Twilight books because they're such trash. And I love a bit of trash. And my daughter was like 18 months old, so I was getting no sleep. And I was watching a lot of the Teletubbies. So we would watch the Teletubbies and I would sit there and read the Twilight books because uh, my brain wasn't capable of doing anything more intellectual than that. So I would sit there, I'd sort of drift in and out of sleep, reading Twilight. I thought that was so good. So when I came to write this, I thought, I'll have it that there's a, a, a vampire in the swamp and he's trying to scare away the girls, but all the girls are actually in love with a vampire because, it's, of course, you fall in love with a vampire. But then my publisher said, vampires are so, you know, 2005. <laughs> you have to change the monster. So he became a swamp yeti. So anyway, that's the background to this story. So I'm going to read you The Case of the Missing Homework. Here we go. Barnes, Barnes! Friday was in the dining hall eating dinner. It was Wednesday, so the meal was towed in the hole, which was the second best dinner of the week. So Friday did not appreciate having it interrupted. She turned to see Parker, a year nine boy, running towards her. You've got to help me, he cried. I've got to, said Friday. Ooh, you should have said please, said Melanie. Oh, please, Friday, you've got to help me. I'm in a sticky mess. My first name is Friday, said Friday. I know you boys insist on referring to each other by your surnames, but I'm not a boy and I don't like it. Sorry, Friday, but you will help me, won't you? Here. He rifled through his pockets and found a $20 note. Here, I'll give you 20 if you come and have a look, and I'll give you another 20 if you can find it. Find what, said Friday? My, <laughs> my assignment. It's worth 80% of my final mark, and it's missing. Someone stole it. I think it was... The Swamp Yeti. <laughs> but intriguing, said Friday. But why would the Swamp Yeti want to steal your homework? Asked Melanie. Well, they say he ran away from year seven. I'm sorry, I just got to pause and say, the bell ringing is actually more distracting than I would imagine it would be. <laughs> I thought it's quite a pleasant sound, but now I'm like losing my train of thought because I'm listening to what a pleasant sound it is. Anyway, here we go. Well, they say that the swamp yeti, yeti ran away from being in year seven, don't they? So perhaps he's tired of living in the swamp with all the stinky mud and the mosquitoes. So he's trying to catch up on the coursework so he can get back in the school. Really, said Friday, we'll investigate. Friday and Melanie went with Parker back to his dorm room. It was just like their own dorm room, except that it smelled really bad because boys lived there. <laughs> Talk me through what happened, said Friday. Well, I was sitting here doing my chemistry assignment and it was really hard. I'm not very good at understanding valencies. I know the teacher said it had something to do with an orange and a cricket ground, but honestly, I couldn't follow what the fellow was saying. So it took you a while, asked Friday. Oh, yes, hours and hours, said Parker. My roommate, Nigel, had to go and get me a plate of dinner so I could work right through. Ooh, it was shepherd's pie last night, said Melanie. You wouldn't want to miss that. That's the best dinner of the week. Oh, absolutely, agreed Parker. But I couldn't afford time away from my desk. The assignment's due tomorrow, and I just had to get it done. Well, why didn't you just go to your teacher and ask for an extension, suggested Friday. Well, yes, normally I would, said Parker, but Mr. Spencer would never agree to that. He hates me. Really, said Friday? Why does he hate you? Well, because in the last practical science exam, when we had to identify which beaker contained acid and which contained alkaline, I couldn't remember how to do the proper test with that litmus paper stuff, so I just stuck my finger in each beaker and then licked it. <laughs> oh, 
I remember that, said Melanie. You had to spend a week in hospital, didn't you? Yes, that's right. It was an awesome week. I got to lie in bed all day watching television. And the skin on my finger grew back eventually, so it was a win-win for me. <laughs> Where am I up to? I always lose my spot. Exact same one. A uh, win-win uh, for me. Friday peered at Parker's desk and then at the window next to it. So how exactly did your homework come to go missing? Well, I was struggling with a particularly difficult problem and eating the first bite of my shepherd's pie when Portelli knocked at the door. He said they'd tied a year seven boy to his desk using his own necktie and did I want to go and have a look? And you did, said Friday. Of course, it sounded like a laugh. I popped out for a quick peek. I was only gone for 60 seconds. And when I came back, it was gone. Someone had taken your homework? Yes, and to add insult to injury, they'd taken my dinner as well. Somebody ate your dinner? Yes. Did they take the plate, asked Friday. Well, what difference does that make? No, they left the plate, but they ate every last scrap of the dinner. It's a good job I had some potato chips hidden under the floorboards or I would have starved. <laughs> Friday looked about the room, then walked over to the open window, took out a magnifying glass and closely inspected the frame. Hmm, what is it? <laughs> a clue. A footprint? Sorry, a clue, asked Parker. A footprint, said Friday. Whose is it, asked Parker. It's the Swamp Yeti, isn't it? No, said Friday. Swamp Yetis don't exist. Oh, said Parker. Friday leaned out the window, looking first one way and then the other. In the distance, she could see... <laughs> Sorry. And then the other. She could see boys coming out of the dining hall, laughing amongst themselves and throwing scraps to fudge the school's overweight dog. And the other side, she could see the cricket pitch in the distance. Then do you know who did take my homework, asked Parker. Yes, I do, said Friday. The problem will be proving it. How much cash do you have on you? Um, Parker went to his desk and looked through the drawers. I've got 80, no, 90 dollars. Perfect, said Friday, taking the money. I will meet you at the beginning of your science lesson tomorrow morning with your stolen homework. And with that, she climbed out of the window and ran off into the bushes. Oh, um, thank you, thank you very much, called Parker. He turned back to Melanie. Um, she hasn't just run off with all my money, has she? <laughs> I don't think so, said Melanie. But it's going to be hard to tell with Friday. She's very peculiar. The next morning, Parker was very nervous as he stood outside his science classroom. <laughs> Melanie waited with him, but that didn't make him less nervous because Parker found girls nerve-wracking too. The rest of the class was filing in and he couldn't delay for much longer. Mr. Spencer was just about to start his lesson when he noticed his hapless student loitering in the corridor. Parker, get in here! Stop dilly-dallying, he snapped. Parker entered, his shoulders slumped. He was just about to get detention for goodness knows how many days, possibly weeks, and he was out of pocket all that money he'd given Friday as well. What's she doing here? asked Mr. Spencer. Melanie had followed Parker into the room. Did you decide to bring a date to class? No, sir, said Parker lamely. And where's your assignment, asked Mr. Spencer. I don't have it, sir, admitted Parker. Really? What's your excuse this time? Somebody stole it, sir, said Parker. Preposterous! You expect me to believe that someone would steal the homework of a boy like you? Well, it does sound silly when you put it that way, sir, agreed Parker. 
Suddenly, the door burst open. Stop! cried Friday, standing in the doorway, carrying a snap-lock bag full of a mysterious brown substance. What are you doing here? Aren't you in year seven? Shouldn't you be in English right now? A minor technicality, said Friday. I am here to clear the name of this boy, Parker. Well, he says someone stole his homework. I find that very difficult to believe. When he does hand in his assignments, he always gets dreadful marks. No one in their right mind would steal homework from him. Ah, said Friday. But it wasn't stolen. It was eaten. What? By whom? Not by whom, said Friday. The question you should ask is, by what? <laughs> so it was the Swamp Yeti, said Parker. No, your homework wasn't eaten by a fictional swamp-dwelling man-beast. It was eaten by Fudge, the school dog. <gasps> Fudge ate my homework? But why would he do that? He always gets lots of scraps from the students. That's why he's so fat. Ah, because it was Shepherd's Pie Tuesday. And everyone loves Mrs. Marigold's Shepherd's Pie. So there were no... <laughs> So there were no scraps. It's the one day of the week where Fudge is left alone outside the dining hall windows feeling hungry. And there is nothing hungrier than a fat dog. So when you left your plate of dinner on your desk in front of an open window, that was tantamount to entrapment. Fudge could not resist. What's that got to do with this boy's assignment? Asked Mr. Spencer. Ah, dogs are messy eaters. They usually eat from bowls. But... Parker's dinner was on a plate, so as Fudge licked it up, he licked it off the plate onto the paper below, which was the homework assignment. When he'd finished eating, Fudge was still hungry, so he ate the gravy-smeared paper as well. That's preposterous, said Mr. Spencer. I don't believe it for a moment. Ah, but I have proof, said Friday, holding up the snap-lock bag full of the mysterious brown substance. Behold, here is Parker's assignment, fully digested and excreted as Fudge's poop. Oh, said everyone in the classroom. That's disgusting, said Mr. Spencer. That's evidence, said Friday. I had an express courier drive this to the university last night. They ran it through their analysis protocols and the results are conclusive. This poop is 11% paper, which is consistent with a sheet of A4 eaten alongside a serving of shepherd's pie. <laughs> this is by far the most disgusting thing a student has ever confronted me with, said Mr. Spencer. Disgusting, yes, agreed Friday, but also conclusive proof that a dog ate Parker's homework. <laughs> the, oh, yes, sorry. The class applauded. Friday was, Friday was putting on their, most, their best science lesson since Mr. Spencer had accidentally burnt his own eyebrows off with a Bunsen burner. The end. Thank you very much. <laughs> sorry, I was a bit rusty. I had a few stumbles there. I just got to check. My watch died last night, so I'll just check how I'm going for time. Oh, heaps of time. All right. Does anybody have any questions for me? Yes, you. Oh, how did Friday get into prison? So that's the beginning of book eight. Have you not read book nine, rather? Have you not read the book yet? You've read a little. Why don't I ruin it for you and tell you what happened? You've got to read it. That's the whole point. We're here to encourage literacy. Wouldn't that be great at a writer's festival with all the writers? They came along, you know, like all the important people, Julia Gillard, and Julia Bed. It's all the Julias, isn't it? Malcolm, Tur 
no, yeah, Malcolm Turnbull's here. All these people came along and they sat down and they said, tell us about your book. And they're like, no, we don't want to ruin it for you. Read it yourself. And then everyone just sat and read the book. So wouldn't that be a weird writer's festival? <laughs> no, I had this idea because I, I kind of knew I was going to have to come back and write more Friday Barnes. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had all these crazy ideas. I once wrote a television episode for a show called The Deep, which is about these scientists that are like superheroes that go around. It's an animated show. You might have seen it. But they got me to write a show based on the Catatumbo storm system, which from memory is in Venezuela. There's this place, it's definitely in South America. Now I sound really ignorant not to be able to say definitely. So let's just say Venezuela. It's in Venezuela. I'm pretty sure it is. There's this place where like 350 days of the year, so almost every single day of the year, there's an electrical storm every afternoon. And um, I just found that fascinating. And it's like, it's like a light show in the sky every night because there's like a basin. I'm, all, I'm a bit of a science nerd. So, um, I thought, so I was imagining what would Friday do as an adult? And I thought maybe, you know, and I was trying to think of something really cool. And I thought maybe she'd move to Venezuela and live in the jungle and study the Catatumbo storm system. That was my idea. And then I thought, well, why would she be in the jungle? And then I started to think, you want to sort of twist it? And so I started to think, well, Friday, everyone would expect her to be this great detective and solving crime. So what if you flip it and you make her a criminal? I thought that would be more fun. And then, yeah, anyway, I don't want to ruin it all for people, but I just started thinking, well, if you flip people's expectations, what can you do with that? So that was the starting point for um, where I wanted to start. Friday Barnes 9. Because it's also, you want to build to where you want to be. And sort of a rule in story writing is, if you want a happy ending, you want to start somewhere sad first. You sort of alternate and juxtapose emotions. So um, I thought, you've got to start with her coming from a bad experience so you can move it through to a positive experience. I actually think, t I know like I like to be an entertaining, fun author, but I'm actually kind of boring when I get into all this um, nutty nuts and bolts of plotting. So it gets quite technical. Does anybody else have another question? Yes, you. Book 10 will come out. <laughs> I haven't started writing it yet. I, I've got, I started plotting it. So when I plot, I get like a sheet of cardboard and I draw a circle and I work out the sort of the, the arc of the story. So I've started doing that. And um, it should come out the same time next year. Because I said to them, look, if I go back to writing Friday Barnes, I can't do two a year because like I will... I will have a brain injury. I will sprain my brain. So I said, how about I write one a year and I'll write three more. So 10 will come out in February and then and that's going to be set in Norway. And then the, probably a year later, I'm thinking maybe one set in Spain. I'm really bummed because I wanted to go to Norway to research the one set in Norway. So now I'm just going to have to make it all up. Fortunately, I'm good at coming up with elaborate lies. So... <laughs> It's funny, you know, like they say, you teach children, lying is wrong. But then you become a fiction writer and basically you just make stuff up all the time. It's very similar. <laughs> yes, what's your question? Why did I... A Friday Barnes associated with COVID. So he's asking, why don't I write a Friday Barnes book that's about COVID? Well, the issue with that is... It takes so long to write a book. So I haven't started writing the book that's going to come out in January next year, and then it might be a few months before the kids read it. By then, everyone's going to be over COVID. Who knows what tragedy we'll be enduring in 12 months' time? It'll be locust plagues or something like that. It sounds ridiculous, but I was talking to a school in America the other day, and I was saying, oh, that we're just sort of like, and I started talking about the bushfires, and like, the bushfires? 
that's so long ago. And I'm like, no, it was a year ago. And the sky was black and red and it felt like the end of the earth. And they're like, oh, no, we're, we've moved on. It's like, oh, well, you know, so who knows what will happen in another 12 months. What's your question? Okay, you've got a would you rather for me and it's about the Friday Barnes book. Yep. Would I rather that there was a live-action Friday Barnes movie or an animated Nanny Piggins movie? I would dearly love both because of money, obviously. <laughs> um, Disney did have the, the, um, the option on Nanny Piggins for about three or four years, but they've just let it expire. There's lots of problems with making Nanny Piggins into a TV show or a movie because she's a pig. In a lot of, well, in, in Islamic countries, they don't like to have images of pigs. They've got different rules in different countries, but like in Malaysia, when Babe came out, it was the first time a pig had ever been on a big screen in Malaysia. So they've got issues with pigs for the one billion Muslim people in the world, so that's a problem because when you make a movie, it costs to make an animated movie. You're looking at about a hundred million dollar budget, US. So you don't want to then say of the seven billion people on the planet, one billion of them will never see it. So there's all these issues with her, and also it's gone out of fashion to have an adult as a lead character in a children's movie. So usually it's a ch child who's a lead character in a children's movie. So that there's problems with Nanny Piggins. I am currently working with some US television producers to make Nanny Piggins into a, a live action thing. But since I wrote it, everything's moved on so much. There's been the Black Lives Matters um, movement and everything. So you'd have to have a lot of rewrite and make it more international cast and there'd be a lot of issues and you'd probably have to age it up. I probably did make them too young to start with. So I would like both and I don't mind. I just want it to be good if it's made. And by good, I don't mean that it has to have high production standards. I mean it's got to have the spirit. Like I, s I was talking to some kids the other day and I said, eventually, if no one else makes it, I will make Nanny Piggins as a movie with sock puppets, if that's what it takes. <laughs> but it's going to have the cool dialogue. Like, so long as they don't get rid of the cool dialogue, I don't care what it looks like, but I just want that spirit of the... Because that's where it came from. It's like I wrote for television and I was so, so frustrated that the rules were just sucking all the fun out of children's television. So I just want to have that... that energy and optimism and just her positive force and with Friday just you know she's so smart anyway that's what I want to capture the, the, the truth of the characters oh god I hate myself for saying that I just want to character capture the spirit of the characters what are you going to say young person Why don't I make, when Friday Barnes is a grandmother, why don't I make a tightrope walker? Make her a tightrope walker. Well, that's an interesting idea. Friday actually doesn't have very good balance or hand-eye coordination or eyesight. So I think if she became a tightrope walker, that would be really quite tragic very quickly. <laughs> she even finds like walking in a straight line challenging at times, which is actually very useful when you write stories to have someone clumsy because they can fall over like... Like, like in the book two, she falls over Christopher and that's how they meet. It's like, you know, that's how you meet someone. <laughs> anybody, anybody else got a question before I wrap things up? No? Okay, cool. Excellent. Well, I'll finish with a song. All right, so I need a volunteer from the audience. Yes, you. Come on up here. Yeah, you. Come on. What's your name? Sorry? Taskia. Okay, Saskia. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, come a bit closer. Okay, what I need you to do is hold your hand up like this. Okay. 
Saskia, you are now a microphone stand. <laughs> it, it's harder than it looks because it gets heavy quickly. Um, now, your number one job is don't smash me in the face because that hurts. And you laugh, but it happens quite a lot. And also, the noise comes out of my mouth, not my nose. All right, you're doing well. If your arm gets tired, brace it with your other hand. Here we go. This is a song about why you should read books because they do like us to mention that occasionally at writers' festivals. Reading an actual book may feel like a strain because you've got to focus your eyes on words and use your brain. But if you persevere, overcome your reading fear, it will help with your career, not just your job. I mean, your real life books teach you empathy with people throughout history. How everyone is different, yet the same. Unfortunately, Saskia, there's another verse. Reading's not as fun as playing a computer game. Is what children, is what <laughs> precocious, i.e. rude kids often explain. Well, I say, tough, life gets pretty rough. The worthwhile, <laughs> coolest stuff is always hard. Just ask an astronaut if you want to succeed. You've really got to read books by great writers, just like me. <laughs> that's it for me. Thank you very much, Saskia. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you very much for coming. Have a great day.